We've been speaking about holiness over the past number of weeks. First of all, I want to thank Tyler for preaching last week. He did a great job. Thank you, Tyler, for preaching while we were gone. I, I appreciate your, you being able to do that. And uh, we missed not being here. Um, there was a little time of uh, vacation for my wife and I, but uh, it's nice to be home. I'm really, really glad to be here. I'm, I would rather be here, I will tell you, here I'm with you, here in this church, here in the service of the Lord, than where we were at. We were at a beautiful place but it doesn't fulfill. It doesn't give that, uh, it doesn't fill that spot in my life. I will just tell you that it does to be with people of of the Lord and uh, to be back. We've been speaking about holiness. Holiness is beautiful. If we could really continue to grasp what holiness is, it is beautiful beyond description because holiness is describing the life of Christ. It is who Jesus is. Jesus was holy. To the fullest term, holy can be defined. In every way, holiness exuded from Jesus' life in the way he dealt with people, in the the way he dealt with issues, in the way he dealt with sickness and pain and suffering in people, in issues and how he dealt with life. Holiness exuded from the very presence of Jesus, and it was beautiful. It, was, it is what makes him attractive because it's beautiful. And that's what we need to be seeking. We need to be seeking that beauty of holiness like Christ because it's the very nature of him that we are to be followers of. If we're truly a Christ follower, our desires should be desiring to be the way Christ was and still is. I'm praying that for those that have been gauging here over the past few weeks that you're starting to feel that. Maybe you've, maybe you've been feeling that a long time in your life. I'm just praying that you're experiencing a greater degree of hunger in your life to be holy as Christ is holy. You know, uh, being gone for that week on a vacation, it was a nice break. Appreciate being away. But, you know, there was a routine that I have here that I just can't quite find anywhere else. Um, And maybe that's just a lack of my maturity. Maybe I should be able to find that routine everywhere I'm at. But yet, when I'm here, there is a special... um, power for me to come to my place of secret prayer and you know i think we all maybe can associate this with this if you get comfortable praying in a certain place uh, that's where you are feeling the most the closest to the lord possibly there for me it's here for me i come into the sanctuary early in the mornings and it's just quiet it's just me and I have a real presence with the Lord here. And it's just he and I, and we talk, and we pray, and we cry, and we sing, and, and it's beautiful. And, uh, and when I'm gone for a week, I miss that. And uh, so it, it's, it's real when we have that true relationship with that Lord and that desire to have that time with him. And I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be here. And I struggled over the week with it. I, will, I was honest with people on Wednesday, and I will continue to be honest with you. I struggled to getting back into that spot. But it's a beautiful place to be. It's awesome. 
Holiness is a grand thing. Holiness is a grand thing. We've, we've learned over the past, we've been talking the last couple of weeks about legalism. And uh, what we're finding is that legalism uh, is the evil twin to holiness. And that it does many of the same things that holiness does. But the result of a legalistic mindset doesn't result in a relationship with the Lord like holiness does. Legalism creates a list of do's and don'ts, resulting in guilt, shame, fault-finding, frustration, and failure. Because I can't always maintain that list. I, I can create the list, but when I fail in fulfilling the list, that's where I have condemnation. And that's where the enemy loves to play in our hearts and lives when he can condemn you because you're not as good as you think you are. Well, that's a legalistic mindset. And, and like I said before, um, I grew up in a legalistic world because that's my background in being in a holiness-based church. And I will, I will confess that once a legalist, it's hard to not be a legalist. I struggle in the area, I will say that, and maybe that's why I struggled this week or last week when I was on vacation because my legalistic mindset said, Mike, you can't really be holy unless you're in the church. And maybe I need to be set free from that. So maybe I have some struggles in my own life that I'm dealing with when it comes to these issues. So I can speak maybe with some authority in how to break that mindset of legalism because legalism is not holiness. You might do the same thing and get the different result. Holiness is a beautiful thing. Holiness results in and is also a result of loving God, powerfully loving God, intimately loving God, in a true relationship with God through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that holiness is a result of and it also results in relationship it's all about relationship with jesus holiness is a result of and it results in that relationship so it's kind of a mystery here i'm not sure it's one or the other i'm not sure which leads what does relationship lead holiness or does holiness lead relationship or do they both kind of work together all focusing our life on christ It's an interesting dynamic. But holiness is a desire to create and protect that relationship with God. And it results in then peace, joy, hope, promise, the benefits that come from being in the family of God. Holiness is such a beautiful thing because it gives good consequences. There are consequences to every action. Chuck Colson says ideas have consequences. Bad ideas have victims. Ideas have consequences. Actions have consequences. Bad actions, bad ideas have victims because we allow the bad things. We, uh, we will concentrate, we'll, we'll dwell on maybe the bad thoughts or we'll participate in the bad actions and with that then comes the consequence of being a victim because there are consequences. But when I'm living a holy life, when truly holiness is in my heart and my desire is to create and protect that relationship, then I result in peace and hope and joy. The, fruit, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, hope, peace, patience. We've got them right here. 
The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That happens when I'm living a holy life. That's the benefit of being in the family of God. Holiness. This is in your, this is in your handout now. We're starting to get to the handout. Holiness without relationship is nothing other than legalism. Think about that. The effort of being holy, doing the things that make me holy or sanctified, set apart, those activities or those thoughts without having a relationship with Jesus, without having the relationship being the motivator of all those actions, truly it's just an act of legalism. Holiness without relationship is nothing other than legalism, and that is to be avoided just as much as taking the liberty to sin with the thought process that God is going to cover my intentional sin through his grace. We talked a couple weeks ago that uh, legalism is deadly because it is a form of righteousness, it's a form of holiness, but no relationship. Whereas liberty or license to sin is even more deadly because now I'm at the risk of trampling the very grace of God that brought salvation to my soul in the first place because I look at it and I say, well, okay, because I'm saved and because I'm saved by grace, I have the freedoms to do whatever I want to do and all I have to do is say, Jesus, forgive me after I've done the things, and he has to forgive me. And that's the mindset of the libertarian person. That's the mindset of the person that lives by license to sin, and I will tell you that that's, that's a falsehood from the perspective of that if I have intentional sin, I'm talking about premeditated. I'm talking about that I am intending, I know full well what I'm doing is sin, and I continue to do it anyway, thinking that, oh, God's not going to really hold me accountable to that. God will forgive me at the end. All I've got to do is, after I do this intentional sin, to ask Jesus to forgive me, and by his, by, by his law, by his word, he has to forgive me, and therefore I'm going to continue to live repeated sin and I'm putting God in that box to say, God, you have to forgive me. And I'm going to ask you to go find the scripture that says that. I'm going to ask you to go to the Bible and you show me in the Bible where it says that you can do that. If you can show me where the Bible says you can do that, then I'll change my thought process. But I can't find a scripture like that. I can't find any place in the Bible that says that I can do what I want to do regardless of what God's commands are, regardless of what Jesus says, I can do whatever I want to do, and then all I have to do is throw up a prayer at the end and say, forgive me, forgive me, okay, I'm forgiven, I'm going to go do it again. Forgive me. You know what that's called? That's called the trampling of the grace of God. And the Bible says that if you continue to live that lifestyle, there will be no more forgiveness for that sin. And you will find yourself on the day of your judgment, hearing the Lord say, depart from me, you evildoer. I'm just telling you right now, but that, because that's what the Bible says the answer will be. So you can choose to continue to live that lifestyle, 
Or you can change and you can say, God, give me a new heart. That is holiness. The Bible says we're to live holy. The Bible says we are to live holy. Our text for the day, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. I'm titling the sermon today, Perfecting Holiness. Perfecting Holiness. Is this possible? Is this possible that we really can live a holy life? What do you think? Do you think that God would, ever, would actually instruct you to do something that wasn't possible? <laughs> no, it is possible. Is it easy? Well, maybe not. The secret, though, is not doing it in your own. The secret is doing it through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. That's why when Jesus said, I have to go away, and you will not see me any longer, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit, and he will be your guide, and he will be your comforter. And the beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit, differently than what Jesus was, because when Jesus walked this earth, he walked this earth just like you and I do. We could, he could only be one place at one time and dealing with those issues that were around him physically. The Holy Spirit, however, is a spirit. And the Holy Spirit can be every place at all times, dealing with everybody at the same time on the issues of their life. And so when Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you and he's going to empower you to live a holy life, he can and he will if you invite him in because he can help you. That's how we live holy, not through our own efforts, that's legalism. That's deadly. That doesn't work. But when I invite the presence of the Holy Spirit in, he then leads me into an area that I can live holy because he can help me with those hard choices. He can help me. He can give me that discernment in my, in my spirit to say, do I do this or not do this? You know what I'm talking about. You've, you've felt the, the unction of the Holy Spirit inside you with that when that temptation comes, do I do it or not do it? That's the crisis point that you need to learn to avoid by falling into the trap of, well, I'm going to do it anyways, and then ask Jesus to forgive me afterwards. Because now you're moving from legalism into liberty to sin, thinking that God's going to forgive you. Now let me just make this point very clear. That's intentional sin. You and I are going to make mistakes every day. I am not a perfect person. You are not a perfect person, and, I, and you need to recognize that. Because it's not the unintentional sin, it's the intentional, premeditated sin that we're talking about, about the person who takes liberty to sin or license to sin. When I am walking my day, I am doing my best, I am doing my best to avoid the areas that the, the, the trap is being set for me. But that still doesn't mean I'm not going to sin. I'm going to make mistakes. And you know what? Jesus kind of knows that. But what I need to do is when I know I make that mistake, I don't justify it away. I don't say, oh, it's just me. 
It's just my nature. No, what I do, I recognize what it is for what it is, and I say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Please forgive me right now. I am so sorry that I said that. I'm sorry that I did that. I'm sorry that I drank that. I'm sorry that I ate that. I'm sorry that I did that. Don't let me do that again. Give me the willpower. Give me the strength to overcome that. That's living a holy life. That's how we live a holy life. That's how we perfect our holiness, by living in a way that we are perfecting it. I love the New, the new Living Translation says, and let us work toward complete holiness. Let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God, because we have reverence for God. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I just come to you this morning and I just ask that you just bring this alive to us today. Lord, just bring this very clear to our hearts today. God, do not let the enemy twist these words into something that's not meant to be said or meant to be heard, but protect this message. And God, just give us a clarity of mind. Give us a clearness of thought when it comes to how we live holy before you, that we can be pleasing to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Holiness, the process of living a holy life, is not a one-time done thing. It's not one time and done by any stretch of the matter. Rather, it's a process of perfecting, a process of living to complete someday in the future that holiness that Christ lives in or Christ lived in or the, the, the perfection of Christ's holiness. It's a, we are on a journey of living today. But recognize that God is going to finish what he started in you. He's not putting you on that journey and then leaving you. No, he is, he is coming and to continue to help you, perfect you in your holiness. Do you remember we spoke a couple weeks ago about this thing called positional holiness? There's two primary phases of holiness. Two primary phases. One is being positionally holy. And that is the moment of your conversion experience. The moment that you ask Jesus into your life, he instantaneously sanctified you and made you holy. Because then when you asked Jesus, when you repented and asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, he said, yes, I will forgive you of your sin and I will remove your sins from you as far as the what, Jackie? The east is from the west. Yes. The east is from the west so that your sins no longer will be ever impacted in your life. And at that moment, you're holy. That's positional holiness. That means that if you died that moment, you're going to heaven. Just like the thief on the cross was guaranteed presence with the Jesus that day because Jesus said, this day you will be with me in paradise. That's positional holiness. But then comes day two of our living. <laughs> Day two comes, and now we move from a positional holiness to a behavioral holiness. And this is where we begin to experience salvation now, but we, we, we experience it on a day-to-day -day basis because we are forgiven by grace. But then we ask for the empowering grace of the Holy Spirit to help us live out in a continual state of being perfected in our holiness. Does that make sense? That we are now moving from the saving grace that gave us positional holiness 
And now we are asking the Holy Spirit to give us an empowering grace. It's still grace. It's still amazing grace that we don't deserve. It's unmerited favor by God. But the first grace gives us the positional holiness. The empowering grace gives us the power to live above sin, to live in a continual state of perfecting holiness. That is exactly where we need to be, and that is called sanctification. That is the process of being set apart. I like what Jim said in Sunday school this morning. We were talking about um, sanctification as one of our tenets of our faith. And he said, when the last day of his life comes, he wants to be as clean and as holy and as righteous as he can be when he gets into heaven. Now, doesn't that sound good? Why would we want to live dirty? Why would we want to live in an, in an attitude of uh, worldly compromise? Wouldn't it be so much better that when Jesus says, hey, it's your last day on earth, come on home, that we're already spotless? Because we can be. It's positionally holy and behaviorally holy. We can Bring those together, and we live in a continual state of perfecting our holiness. That's called sanctification. That means I'm living my life, I'm avoiding the dirt of this world as best as I can, and then when I do get a little dirty, the first thing I do is I ask the Lord to forgive me and clean me up. That's called being holy. That's the way we live. It's not legalistic. It's not heavy. It's called relationship. I want to protect that relationship with Jesus. Second Corinthians chapter 6. This is an interesting promise that Paul is referring to here because basically we, we have to go back and set the context for the previous verse we just read in chapter 7, verse 1, because we said, therefore, since we have these promises, let us live in a state of perfecting holiness. But what, what are those promises? We have to read the context of verses. And this is the context. So if we go back to the previous chapter in verse 6, we're going to find out what these promises are. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 14. The Living Bible Translation says it this way. Don't be teamed with those who do not love the Lord. For what do the people of God have in common with the people of sin? How can light live with darkness. And what harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a Christian be a partner with one who doesn't believe? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For you are God's temple, the home of the living God. And God has said of you, I will live in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That is why the Lord has said, Leave them, separate yourself from them. Don't touch their filthy things. I will welcome you and be a father to you, and you will be my sons and my daughters. This is the context for what Paul was saying in our text verse. Paul is asking some rhetorical questions here to the Corinthian believers as to their relationship as a Christian should have in an unbelieving world. He's saying, how can true believers be in joint relationship with unbelievers? How can, you, how can a Christian man or a Christian woman be in relationship with an unchristian man or an unchristian woman in a marriage? Difficult to do. How can light and darkness cohabitate that same space? 
How can a person have a relationship with Jesus and at the same time have a relationship with the devil? Is it possible? How can we live in the world and not be of the world at the same time? So the context that, that here is that Paul is talking to the Christian church. He's talking to believers. He's not talking to sinners here. He's talking to Christian people. These are already people that are children of God, and he's, they're already saved, and they're already redeemed. And, and that's why he's asking the questions and then making the, the correlation of idols in God's temple, meaning how can a person have a relationship with the devil and the Holy Spirit at the same time? A person that is holy who is having a relationship with God there can be no relationship with the devil at the same time. You, you cannot have light and darkness cohabitate. Think about that. You're, you walk into a dark room, you either, if you turn the overhead light on, all the darkness flees. But if you light a candle, the darkness still flees. You can't have darkness and light cohabitate. It's either light or dark. My Bible commentary says that to compromise with the world and its ungodly beliefs, behaviors, and lifestyles is to lose the benefit of God's presence and promises. They don't cohabitate. You, you don't get part of God's blessings and by playing with the world. It's, it's an all-or-nothing thing, folks. You're in or you're out. Holiness creates relationship based on God's love. And without holiness, there is no relationship. Holiness creates relationship based on God's love. And without holiness, there is no relationship. There may be rules and there may be regulations, but no relationship. Rules and regulations do not create a holy life. Paul goes on to say that now that you are in this holy relationship, there are great benefits. There are great benefits. So Romans 8, 17 says, Now we are, if we are children, if, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. How many people would love to be a child? I'm going to say his name, but only because he's a rich man. Donald Trump. Not because of his character, but because of his money. <laughs> How many people would like to be a, a child of Howard Hughes? who died a long time ago, but another rich man. I mean, there are benefits of being an heir of those that have things. Because as an heir or a co-heir, you get the benefit of what they own. I'm talking strictly from a financial perspective there. But now when I think about being an heir of God, what does God own? Is there anything that God does not own? The Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That's just a very descriptive way of thinking about it. But God is the owner of all things. And it's not just what he can give you, but it's the, it's the joy, it's the happiness, it's the peace, it's the contentment. It's, it's the overall thing that our soul is made to experience, and that is relationship with God that's who he is. And as an heir of God, I'm a co-heir with Christ, I have the benefit of being in the family. And it's in that context that Paul is giving us the instructions on how we are to go about living in this relationship. And that we are, as a, as a child of God, as a co-heir with Christ, 
I have the responsibilities to live as a king's son or a king's daughter. I have responsibilities now to honor him in the way I live. That I'm not to uh, be silly about all the benefits that he's given me. I'm not to waste them. I'm not to uh, go out and just um, throw, be like the prodigal son and spend everything on my pleasures. That's not what we're supposed to do here. We are supposed to be um, following the responsibilities in an honoring way, and there's nothing wrong with us recognizing that. There's nothing wrong with us recognizing that we have responsibilities as holy people to live above the stuff of this world. And that doesn't mean being legalistic about it. It just means understanding what holy convictions are. And I do things or I don't do things because I'm, an heir of, I'm a joint heir with Christ. And I don't want to do anything that would bring a dishonor to my father. I don't want to do anything that would embarrass Jesus for being my brother. I don't want to be that black sheep of the family. <laughs> I want to be someone that Jesus looks and says, yeah, that's my brother down there. Look at him, God. Look at our brother go. Look at our sister go. Look at, aren't we proud of them? Look at how holy they are. Look at how they're loving us. Look at how they're, 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 they're wanting to serve us because the Bible says that if you love God, what will you do? You will obey him. If you love Jesus, he says, you will obey me and my commands because that's what, that's what we do. That's what people in relationship do. They want to please the other person. They don't want to push their buttons. No, we want to be holy because that's what Jesus is and that's beautiful. That's why that in 2 Corinthians 6 and 17 it says, this is why the Lord has said, leave them. Separate yourselves from them. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you and be a father to you and you will be my sons and my daughters. And that's the context of moving into what our text was this morning of 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, since we have these promises of being a daughter and a son, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and spirit, perfecting holiness. That's why we live holy lives, not as a way to earn God's love or to earn his favor, but because he loves us so much, because he has adopted us into his family, and because we are Christians now, we are purifying ourselves, not just from some things. What's it say here? Read it with me. What's the word say? That we are, let us purify ourselves from, say it loud. Everything. What is everything? everything? Yeah. Everything is Everything. Everything that contaminates the body and the spirit. We are to separate ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting our holiness. That doesn't leave anything out. That doesn't give us any, any leeway here to live a somewhat righteous life. This doesn't give us license and liberty to sin because those things are contaminating our body, right? Right? Those things are contaminating us, and we're just read that we are to purify ourselves from everything that contaminates. So there is no room for sin. There is no room for that intentional, willful, deliberate sin, thinking that I can ask Jesus to forgive me later, because that's not what this verse says at all. It says we are to flee these things. We are to purify ourselves from all these things out of reverence or fear of God. That's beautiful, folks. That is beautiful. 
But this is where, if we're not careful, that our walk of holiness can turn into a list of legalistic rules. You know, the thing I found out about relationships, relationships takes time. Relationship takes time to develop. However, making a list of rules is quick and easy. Relationship is something I have to invest myself in. But I can make a list of rules pretty quick and pretty easy. And I think one of the reasons that some people struggle with holiness and rather they have a tendency to fall into the legalistic mindset is that it's easier to make the list. They don't want to spend time with the Lord. They don't want to spend time with relationship with Jesus and and having to ask him, well, what do you want me to do today, Father? No, they'd rather just look at a list of rules and regulations that they made. Legalism's list is much easier to come up with. It's easier to make a list of do's and don'ts rather than spend time in prayer and personal devotion to find the heart of God and understand what he has for you in any given day. I can, I can remember as a kid, or not as a kid, I can remember as a dad, I failed in this area, failed miserably. It was, let me just tell you, it was easier for me to mow the grass myself because I knew how I wanted the grass to be mowed rather than telling Tyler, my son, how to do it. <laughs> Got it, Rick? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 I, I didn't mentor him well. I could have said, now, Tyler, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get on the tractor, and I want you to go around the circle and do it this way and throw the glass clippings inside, make nice, mics, make nice straight lines so I don't want them crisscrossing each other. I want nice straight lines, and this is what I want done. And, and I could have done that for him, and I would have taught him some discipline, and I would have taught him some how to do some things, and I could have been a good godly mentor to him in that way as a dad. Instead, because in my legalistic mindset, it was just easier for me to do it myself. See, it takes time to develop a relationship to teach people how to do things. And it, it's, you know, that's where the church fails in our mentoring of young Christians. Because it takes time for me to get dirty with them. It takes time for me to get to know that person and spend time with that person and come alongside them and say, hey, this is how we walk a Christian life. This is how we do it. No, it's easier for me just to give them a list. Give them this list, follow the list, come back next Sunday, see you later. Because I got more selfish things to do for myself. I don't want to spend time with you. That's why we fail. That's why churches fail. That's why people come in and get saved and then don't stay saved because we don't have Christian, mature Christian people coming alongside them and say, this is how we live. This is how we walk. See, guys, we got a great opportunity here in our church right now. Because we have a relatively older church, but we are, have a vision for youth. That's why we hired Tyler and Hannah to come in and be family life pastors. And they're going to bring a lot of kids in, a lot of youth in, a lot of young families that don't know how to do Christian living. And that's where you and I can help. This is our responsibility now to help finish what they're starting here. But we come alongside them, we help them, we mentor them, Royal Rangers start up. We say, hey, I'll volunteer. I'll come in and I'll help those boys build a Pinewood Derby car or I'll come in and I'll help them camp out or we'll do some things and we'll come around these young children and these young dads and moms that don't know how to be Christian parents and we can help them to do it. That's relationships. That's holiness. That takes time. It takes effort. It's a lot harder than just setting up a bunch of list of, a list of rules and regulations.
Does that make sense? Are we tracking here? A deadly risk of being a legalistic rule follower versus a perfecting holiness relationship builder (laughs) is the tendency to follow the rules only when you know someone is watching. A legalistic person looks really good when somebody is watching them, but put them on their own and they'll break every rule they can just because they can. (laughs) But they'll do everything they can while people are watching. It's kind of a good measurement for yourself. Where, are, where is your character? Where are you inside? Are you that kind of a person that is going to do the right thing when you're all by yourself? Are you the kind of person that is going to turn off that TV set or stay off that pornography website or to put away that abusive whatever it is, alcohol, whatever it is, whatever you're abusing your body with, whatever it is, maybe it's too much food, I don't know. Lots of things that we can abuse our bodies with. Can you put that away when you're all by yourself? That's a litmus test for holiness. If you find yourself giving yourself leeway because nobody's watching, therefore I can indulge, thinking that, oh, if that sin doesn't, if it doesn't hurt somebody else, well, then it's fine. And you know what? That's what the world's saying today. That's what the world says about cohabitating, or that's what the world says about abortion. That's what the world says about a lot of these things, is that, oh, it's, it's my body, and, and, and it doesn't hurt you. Uh, my abortion isn't hurting you. It's my body, and I'm going to control it. Therefore, it's my decision if I'm going to let this baby live or not, or it's my decision if I'm going to uh, get on that pornography website. It's my choice. It's not hurting you. Well, let me tell you what. That's not holiness. And the Bible says without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So if you're living a lifestyle that you're allowing yourself to do things in the secret places, thinking that you're going to be okay with the Lord later, can I just be very lovingly telling you the truth and say that's not true? Let me just take a minute here and state the obvious. I know we're time slipping by. But I want to state the obvious here. There are those in this church that I know are living a holy life. And, I'm, and, and you're, you're doing the right things and you are pleasing the Lord with the way you're living and that's awesome. And I also know that there are those that are not. Not because I know their sin, only because I know that statistically speaking, there are those that are not doing that. So when we preach messages like this that could be considered hard messages, understand that we are in a one-room schoolhouse. There are baby Christians, there are, there are elementary school kids, there are kindergartners, there are non-Christians, and then there are the saints. So if you're one of the saints, don't feel offended, but be praying for those that maybe this message is hitting them between the eyes. Because there are those here, possibly, that this message is hitting them right between the eyes. And say, whoa, he's talking about me. He's reading my mail. So don't be offended if, we, if you think that, man, all he does is beat me up all the time. No, I'm not beating anybody up. I'm just speaking truth. And if it doesn't apply to you, fine. But if it does apply to you, then take it and use it. Live by it and let it help you. Amen? Move on. Second Corinthians, we've got to keep moving here. Second Corinthians, Paul writes a letter to, this, to the Corinthian church again. 
Okay, this is, this is just further down in that same chapter. Chapter 7, we've already read early, earlier chapters or verses in that same chapter, but Paul is writing a letter here, and this is really important. Let's just read this real quick, uh, beginning at verse 8. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, <laughs> I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. I have no idea what Paul wrote in that letter. But there was something that was happening in, in the Corinthian church that, was, that Paul needed to address. So he wrote a letter to the Corinthians that was very pointed, very sharp, and Paul said right at the beginning, he said, I'm sorry that my letter caused you um, pain. But then again, I'm really not sorry because for those that read the letter and, and put it into application, uh, it, it brought salvation to you, so I'm really not sorry. I'm sorry I hurt you, but I'm not sorry that I had to write the letter. You know what I'm saying? You see, see his little dichotomy there? But now he gets into something that's very important. Notice the difference in the types of sorrow, right? Godly sorrow brings repentance. Worldly sorrow brings guilt, shame, and ultimately rebellion. Godly sorrow brings repentance. Worldly sorrow brings rebellion. Godly sorrow brings life. Worldly sorrow brings death. Basically, the difference is Worldly sorrow, sorrow says, I'm sorry I got caught. Next time I'm going to be smarter. That's rebellion. Next time I'm going to do the same thing, I'm just going to do it in a different way. That you're, not going to ca- you're not going to catch me again. That's worldly sorrow. I'm sorrow, sorry I got caught. Godly sorrow says, whoa, I'm so sorry I did it. God, please forgive me. I'm not going to do that again. Help me not to do that again. That leads to life. The holy person finds themselves immediately brought to their knees when they feel the pressure or the pain or the angst of the Holy Spirit because I've sinned. That's what holiness does. Legalism or worldly sorrow says, no, I'm just going to be smarter next time because I can take that attitude if I want to. My prayer is that you're here this morning desiring to be a faithful person, always asking God, always looking for that place in your heart where you can allow the Holy Spirit to bring you into closer relationship with the Lord. That's why we need to see these things. That's what the process is of perfecting holiness is that they're concerned about the things of God more than the things of this world. It's in the secret place that God sees and rewards. Matthew chapter 6, that whole chapter, go read that. But This is the key verse. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, if you go on and read that chapter, he's talking about people giving their offerings so everybody sees what they put in the offering or are praying loudly and boldly in front of people to see how good of a prayer that you are, okay? Jesus is saying, guys, you're missing the whole point. If your point is that everybody sees how big your offering is or how well you pray, then that's it. <laughs> that's the only reward you're going to get because God rewards what's done in secret. Okay, so then he goes on and he talks to us about that. He says, finally, then your father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. So my point here is that a holy person lives a life of integrity and character in the secret places. 
when it's just you and the four walls around you. Nobody else can see what you're doing. Character says, holiness says, I'm going to serve Jesus no matter what. I'm going to keep my mind pure. I'm not going to allow anything to contaminate my soul. Jackie, would you come, please? I'm not going to let anything impact, distract from, ultimately destroy my relationship with Jesus because I love him so much and my desire is to love him so much that I don't want anything to happen in my life that would do anything to distract or detract from my relationship with Jesus. That is what holiness does. That's the beauty of holiness. Can you imagine, just put on your thinking cap for just a quick second here. Could you imagine the types of conversations that God had with Adam and Eve? They're walking face to face because they're holy. No sin in Adam's life. No sin in Eve's life at this point in time. They're walking in the garden. God comes down. Can you imagine the kind of conversation they must have had? The Bible doesn't say anything about that other than the fact that God gave responsibility to to Adam to, to manage the garden. He also gave him the responsibility to name all the animals. So it was Adam's job to name all the animals. Can you imagine the conversation between Adam and God about, God, what do you think about this name? Should we call the elephant the elephant or the anteater? They both have a long nose. I don't know. I mean, just imagine the kind of conversations they must have had. Here's the deal. What kind of conversations do you have with God? What kind do you want to have with him? There's going to come a day, folks, when our holiness is completed and we walk face to face with Jesus in heaven. We're going to have those conversations. We're going to have them. Have a great yesterday. That's what I was talking about. Because at that day, we'll be living in our yesterday. (laughs) Because he's going to take everything we've done down here right now, and because of what we're doing right now, we're going to have a great future because we have a great yesterday. Today is our yesterday. Live your life today wholly before him, seeking all things, avoiding anything that would contaminate your relationship with the Lord. Anything that would distract or detract you from having that relationship so that someday you can have that very intimate one-on-one conversation with God and he's going to wrap his arm around you and he says, come on, Jesus, what do you think of your brother here? And Jesus is going to say, man, he did a great job, Father. Let's, let's, enter, let, let's reward him. Let's give him great rewards. And Jesus is gonna hear, you're going to hear Jesus say someday, well done, well done. Oh, that's what I want to hear. That's what I want to hear. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. So help us, Lord, in this area of perfecting holiness. Help us, Lord, how can we do that? Lord, just give me the power of the Holy Spirit. I need empower in grace today. I cannot do this on my own. I refuse to try because that will just put me in a legalistic mindset. I refuse to even go down that road So I'm spending my time right now, I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to live in me, to empower me with the grace that empowers me to live a life that is pleasing to you. And I pray this for our church. 
I pray this for every person that calls us their church home, every visitor here or every member, Lord, that we would just embrace that lifestyle of, of, of empowering grace to live above the stuff that would contaminate us. This morning, as your eyes are closed, and do you need help here this morning? Is the Lord, is the Holy Spirit dealing with you on anything specific? If he is, I want you to act on it. I want you to get used to acting on it. I'm not going to invite you to come up to the front of the church, but I'm going to ask you to be honest. If there's something going on in your life right now where the Holy Spirit is, in, is, in, is, is putting his finger on something, I want you to just raise your hand. Just raise your hand to the Lord and say, yeah, Lord, I see it. Lord, I'm responding. I am not going to justify this. Thanks, Mosey. I'm not going to justify this. I am going to practice, beginning right now, that when I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit bringing a conviction to me, I'm going to practice bringing it to you right now in an attitude of repentance. Listen, folks, this doesn't mean you're a sinner. But if you don't do that, you're on the road to legalism. You're on the road to becoming a sinner if you don't recognize sin and deal with it immediately when it happens. That's why we practice altar calls. That's why we do this. That's why we bring this to your attention on a regular basis so that you get used to hearing the presence of the Holy Spirit, hearing his voice and saying, yep, Lord, me, me, I I need some help right now. Forgive me, please. Because I know that the Lord is working here today. This is the secret place I'm talking about. This is the secret place. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Father, I just pray that your heart is our heart today. And I pray, Father, that you would just continue to work in your people, that you will continue to work in our hearts and lives today. Bring us perfecting holiness so that we see the beauty of who you are. Because without holiness, I can't see you. Without that perfection of holiness in my spirit, I just can't see you. But because we have relationship, God, I pray that you would perfect us. Until the day you bring us home, that would always, that would always be in a continuing state of perfection. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.